and pleasant temperatures that we enjoy here. And we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it. And for all of those who are here this morning, we thank you. We pray that you bless our time together and make it profitable to all who are here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are moving on this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So, um, I know I skipped a few verses at the end of chapter 8, dealing uh, with, in general, um, sort of logistics of the uh, collection, etc. And it's all, all scripture is profitable, but I thought that it, starting at Chapter 9 would be a more profitable study for this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 9 now. It's 15 verses long, so here we go. Now, concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared. We, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity, not of grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. There we go. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Well, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ, for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Okay, well, once again, we have a passage here with uh, a couple of real gems in in there, and, of course, all of it profitable. So we'll begin, and we'll go through by the verses. Verse 1, now, concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. The word ministering uh, ministering to there is diakonias, or serving, and you'll notice in there the uh, similarity to our word, deacon, which comes from the same uh, root, or the same word in the Greek, so serving or, or ministering too. And the ministry was both to the poor saints in Jerusalem, who were going to have their uh, material needs met, hopefully by this offering, 
that would be brought to them. And they would also then, the Corinthians would be ministering to the brothers who were coming to collect the gift by receiving them in Christian love, as Paul had admonished them to do in the latter part of verse, uh, chapter 8. Verse 2, yes. Okay, verse 2. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you, to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. A good example of the Christians in Achaia, and Corinth was a city in Achaia, uh, this was an encouragement to other churches. And, you know, this is um, one of the verses that, uh, you know, you read through this and you think, well, this is maybe not one of the more uh, heavy impact verses. You know, there's, uh, uh, there are some verses in here that are just real favorites of mine, and one you'll probably recognize that I'm forevermore quoting. But, you know, you go by this one, and it's just one of those verses that Paul said to the Corinthians. But, you know, it impressed me this time how our example can encourage people. Our example can be encouragement to other people. I don't know if the Corinthians were thinking, you know, the believers at Corinth were thinking, hey, we'll do this, and it'll be an example to the churches in, in Macedonia and elsewhere in Achaia. I rather doubt it. I don't suppose that's the case. And, you know, I, I was thinking how any of us who are uh, serving Christ and we're living for the Lord, that we might be an example to people. And I guess we are an example to people for good or ill. You know, we might be a good example to people, or we might be a bad example to people. We might do the wrong thing, and people might say, well, it's not so bad to do so-and-so, because you know Brother Woodworth, I he was doing it. I hope they're not saying that. But it's entirely possible, because we're, we're being an example to someone, and our life is an influence on someone. And I know it's easy to think, well, I'm very obscure. I am. And uh, here we are, you know, we're in a little church in the middle of this um, industrial park, you know, here in the mid-cities in Dallas. And, and what is this, in, you know, among all the masses and multitudes of, of Dallas County and Tarrant County and all the surrounding area? And yet, for sure, we're an example to somebody. Somebody's watching us. It might be co-workers, it might be family members, it might be extended family members from a distance who, who uh, hear that we're still going on and serving the Lord. I think I mentioned from time to time that, you know, uh, Facebook has its, uh, its pros and cons. It has its good points and its bad points. And some of my Christian friends get, get disgusted with it. I'm finished with it. And I can understand why they do that. There are days like I could so easily be finished with this. What, you know, um, well, yes, we won't go into that. But, you know, one of the things that's been encouragement to me with Facebook is uh, rediscovering friends. Uh, now, that's not always an encouragement. Sometimes rediscovering so-and-so is going to what church? Oh, no. But, uh, sometimes, you know, it is an encouragement. Well, old so-and-so, from all the way back there in the 1970s, is still serving the Lord. How about that? And that's an example, and it's encouragement. Someone's watching us, too, and we need to make sure that our example is an encouragement to others, that they'll say, well, you know, Brother Woodworth, well, he didn't have much going on, but he just kept trying to serve the Lord year after year. I hope they'll at least say that. And uh, that will at least be an encouragement to them. At least it, it struck me this time when I was reading through here. 
And there we go. Verses 3 and 4. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Confident uh, boasting is hupostasai, uh, hupostasai. It's something that's placed under something else a foundation, a basis, or a confidence. So this is his confident boasting. You know, we, we're confident. Uh, we're relying on the people in Corinth that they've got their, their gift ready. And, you know, I was thinking of here, he, he says, you know, lest we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. And, you know, it is very embarrassing to uh, fail to live up to a good reputation. And... Uh, you know, uh, that will happen sometimes, and it's, it's not something that we want to do. Uh, uh, we want to, you know, we, we want to live up to um, that which is to good, you know, not, not necessarily for our own sake, but for the Lord's sake. We don't want to disappoint people. Uh, if they think that, you know, well, I thought, I thought he was a Christian, but he's doing that, and we certainly don't want people to be saying that. So, um, one way or another, and you know, I, I find it's always um, it's always awkward when someone is introducing me and, and saying good things about me, and it's like, oh boy, wait till they get to know me, and they'll know better. But um, we, we do want to, you know, when people expect godliness in us, we certainly don't want to disappoint them in that. Verse five. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time. And prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Notice ahead of time, beforehand, and previously. So Paul is emphasizing the importance of the Corinthians being ready in a timely fashion. You know, it's good to do the right thing, but there's also a right time to do the right thing. And we want to be, we want to be punctual and we want to be prompt that we don't uh, fall behind. And we do sometimes, actually. Well, I do my own testifying. Sometimes we do get behind of what we, we needed to be, and ooh, I should have done that already. But um, as a reminder, you know, guys, have your gift ready when it's supposed to be ready, and I'm helping you to make sure that you do. The word for generous gift is uh, eulogion, eulogion, which is a blessing. So you're blessing. And a, a generous gift or a, our giving is a blessing. And, you know, it should be a blessing to the one who receives it. And it should be a blessing to us if we give it with the right spirit. More on that directly. Oh, you know, is it not as of grudging necessity? Because, you know, if you think about it, if the brethren got there, well, we're here to, uh, we're here to take your gift for the poor believers in Jerusalem. And they're like, our gift... Yeah, that. Oh, and uh, so they have to get up in the service, you know, and say, well, we want to take up an offering. Uh, I don't know if you came prepared to give this morning, but we need to take up an offering for the poor brethren in Jerusalem. And the, the brothers who came to pick it up are kind of sitting in the back room. They're not ready. And it looks very grudging. And, and you know, that kind of takes some of the joy out of giving. When, it, when you feel like you're just being hit up uh, for a contribution, you're being assessed um, that's not the way we want to do it. He says, verse 6, But this I say, he who sows sparingly 
will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Sows, he who sows. So here he starts likening giving to sowing, like sowing seed. It will produce a harvest. Now this is something that has been grossly distorted and misused by the prosperity gospel people. And you know uh, the ones that I mean. They're, they are, uh, their number is legion, and they're all over the TV or wherever you happen to see, and there's more of the prosperity gospel cropping up again. And if you will um, you know, uh, send them money, why, God will bless you and give you lots more money, and uh, this is a seed gift that you're supposed to give, and then God will give you lots of stuff. And it's all, as we know, a twisting and distorting of God's word. I remember once, and this, oh, God, many years ago, um, when was it? It was in the uh, 80s, early 80s. I was driving down the road, and this is before the days of even cassette players in cars. Oh, well, before the days of, cassette, of a cassette player in my car, so that early. I was driving down the road, and we were driving uh, through the night uh, visit folk, the home folk. I don't know. Or did I not have a cassette? Because I thought I had one in there. For whatever reason, to stay awake, I turned on the radio. Ha. And uh, got a religious broadcast. And this fellow was preaching about how um, he would send you his uh, specially blessed prayer rug uh, for only nineteen ninety-five, And then uh, if you would pray on this rug, why, God would give you whatever. And uh, then once you got what you needed, why, please send the prayer rug back to him. He didn't say anything about sending your money back. But please send the prayer rug back to him so he could send it to somebody else. Because you wouldn't want a, you know, just a blessed prayer rug to be sitting around in your garage not getting used. Anyway, the amazing things that people say, but that's not what this means, is it? Um, first of all, the, the harvest... Uh, he didn't necessarily say, and as we read through here, I think we'll find and we'll see, the harvest is not necessarily material. In fact, it tends not to be material, I think. God might bless you materially. And in some, some of the verses here, he suggests there might be some material blessing that God has for you. But not getting rich and not getting a new car or, a, a, you know, a expensive stuff that you want. That's not it. That's not it at all. And I know we all know this, don't we? Uh, in, in the seed, it's, he's talking about he, he will bless us, uh, you know, spiritually. And uh, that's good. Um, I thought another thing that struck me in this uh, verse was uh, the word for bountifully here is ep um, There's that eulogias that we just saw, eulogias, we just saw in, I think, the previous verse. Uh, bountifully with blessings so he who gives with blessings and that kind of changes the meaning to me at least you know bountifully means i mean i take that to mean a lot now when you think about it it wouldn't necessarily have to be you could be bountiful you know just generous like the widow who put in a mite uh, and jesus said she gave more than all those rich guys that were dropping in a lot of money be, and I, I guess you could say, if you think of me, you could say she gave bountifully. She gave generously. So you could say that. But I guess what I tended to think of is when he that gives bountifully, uh, he gives a lot. And, and really, that's not 
what's it saying? Not even in English, really, because, uh, you know, he who sows sparingly, it's not, you know, he sows a little. I mean, he sows little of what he has. He's sparing. He holds back. And the other guy sows bountifully. He sows a lot of what he has. But I guess you can miss that. I, maybe it's thinking too much physically of seed. You know, if I put a lot of seed in the ground, I'll get a lot of turnips back. But if I put a little seed in your eye, I will get few turnips back or whatever the case may be, uh, whatever I may be planting. You know, but um, that's not exactly it. It's he who, who sows with a good spirit. He's a cheerful giver. He, he sows with bless. I want to bless these people, and this is all I have. Kind of like Peter and John. They're going in at the gate of the temple there, and there's the lame man, and he... Uh, he uh, once looks to receive something from them, and Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And, you know, when we, you know, if we don't have any silver and gold, we're eager to give what we do have. And if we do have silver and gold, we're, we're eager to give some of that. So he that sows bountifully will reap bountifully. It's not necessarily uh, material things, because notice it wasn't mainly the material that God was in that God was worried about, God's not worried about anything, that God was concerned about in the first place. You know, it wasn't that God didn't get his 1995 out of us, and therefore, you know, he's not going to send us, that's outrageous. Um, No, it wasn't that. It was the spirit with which we gave. We wanted to be a blessing, and so we gave out of a, a heart, a cheerful heart, a generous heart, eager to be a blessing to these people. And that's something that God will bless. So we'll reap a good harvest from that. Even if the, uh, the, the financial value of the thing wasn't that much. But the guy who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The guy who, who has a spirit of wanting to keep back for himself uh, will not receive the blessings from God that he otherwise would have had. So, verse 7, let each of you, let each one, give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is one of the verses, uh, you know, there's several verses in chapter 9 here that if you've memorized, this is probably one of them. Uh, The Lord loves a cheerful giver. So, let each one as he purposes in his heart. So, this is a deliberate choice. It's a deliberate decision. He thinks about it. He makes up his mind and he gives as he's purposed in his heart. And he continues to give as he's purposed in his heart. This is not by constraint. He's not having his arm twisted. Uh, and Because that's not the way we want this to be. Uh, he's not uh, being pressured. You know, I, I said last week that uh, it's, good, it's good for me to, to just state the obvious truth that we all know that uh, Christians ought to be generous givers to the Lord's work, uh, that I can, I can feel more liberty to say that because I am not receiving any of it, uh, and which is as it should be. Uh, that's, that's um, like Paul said, you know, I don't want anybody to make my boasting vain and so forth. Um, so, so as one who is not, um, my, my father was, you know, supported from the, from the giving of God's people, but but uh, that's not been my lot in life. And, uh, uh, and the Lord uh, has, has provided for me very abundantly. But um, 
So I, I have that liberty to say that, hey, God's people should give. Because I'm not saying, hey, give it to me. No, no. But having said that, you know, I, I want to be careful, and I hope that no one within the sound of my voice, I and mean, you know, there aren't, <laughs> there aren't many people visibly within the sound of my voice, but if anybody would else be listening, I certainly don't want to take away anybody's joy in giving. I don't want to make anybody less cheerful as a giver by making their giving uh, anything of constraint, anything that would be grudging, that they would feel like, I don't want anyone to feel like, well, Brother Woodworth says we have to give if we're Christians, so I guess I better do it. That's not the idea. I don't want to do that. It should be a joy and a cheerful thing to support the Lord's work or to be a blessing to God's people or whatever God is uh, leading us to, um, to give. So a deliberate choice, not by constraint and not by impulse. Now, uh, in other words, God is not uh, opposed to us thinking carefully about a thing and uh, seeking his face, possibly praying about it, and making a careful, deliberate decision to, about what we need to do. This is what, you know, I've thought about it, I've prayed about it, I've sought God's leading, and this is what God wants me to do about giving it. So this is what I'm going to do every month or week or, or when God has led me to do it. Now, I know the devil sometimes uh, has a, a little strategy that he uses on us. Maybe he doesn't use this on you all, but... Uh, it's a strategy of the devil tells you, oh, don't do that. You better think about it first. What he really means is, I don't want you to think about it. You know, I want you to put it aside and stop thinking about it and forget about it is what the devil wants. And I don't think the Lord is opposed to us thinking about what, we, what we're going to do for the Lord. I, the, the problem is not the thinking about it. The problem is putting it aside, forgetting it, and not thinking about it. But every man is he purposes in his heart. So again, uh, Paul doesn't want this scene where the church is assembled and the, the brothers from the other churches have showed up to, to collect the gift and carry it on to Jerusalem, and uh, whom the churches have delegated, you know, and Paul has delegated. And here they are, and now we take up an offering, and everybody is pressured and obligated, and it's by, you know, it's of necessity. And that's not the way we want to do it. But every man let him search his heart and consider what God would have him to do and think about it and pray about it and, um, uh, and then do it. You know, having made up his mind, this is what God wants me to do, then let's do it and keep on doing it. You know, and, and he said elsewhere in Scripture, you know, every, every man on the first day of the week, lay aside. So... Uh, regularly lay aside that which you've, you've uh, felt that God would have you to give. And grudgingly here is ek lupes, and we came across that lupes in a previous chapter, uh, sorrow. So not giving out of sorrow. Like, oh, it makes me so sad I have to part with this money. I sure like my money. I hate to say goodbye to any of it. Goodbye, money. It's lost. I gave it to the Lord. Well, at that rate, it is lost. At that rate, it won't do us any good. That's not the way we want to do it, is it? Okay, verse 8. And here's my big favorite verse of the whole chapter. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, 
that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Grace is God's power through the Holy Spirit working in the heart of the believer, enabling to do what pleases God. Now, it's also said that grace is unmerited favor. Well, that's absolutely unmerited. Uh, All the favor we receive from God is completely unmerited. We've never merited anything good from God. But uh, specifically, um, uh, God's, God's power through the Holy Spirit, working the heart of the believer, enabling him to do what pleases God. And he's able to make all grace abound toward you. All the grace that we need. All the grace that an infinite God has to give. Of course, his grace is uh, a feature of his character, a feature of who he is. And he's infinite, so his grace is infinite too. There really is no limit to his grace. Um, Yeah, I can almost quote the words of that song, and now it, it has departed from my, my memory at the moment. Um, hmm, I can't think of it. George Beverly Shea used to sing it. He giveth more grace as the burdens grow greater. There we go. Yeah, it's all about that. All about that indeed. So, um, so all the grace that we need. All the grace that heaven has to give us, and heaven has unlimited grace. The Lord has unlimited grace to give us. He can give us all the power that we need, all the strength that we need to abound to every good work in every situation, always, every minute of every day of our lives. Well, except the time when I didn't get enough sleep, and then I was not able to do what was, oh yes, including the time I didn't get enough sleep, including the time I felt really bad, including the time that, oh, I don't know, old so-and-so is being very cross with me or very unreasonable, or there was someone totally unreasonable on the Internet. No, that's all the time. But, uh, uh, you know, all the times on every day in our lives for every situation that we meet in all and things is there in italics, so that's implied in all, just in all, in everything, um, some languages you could do that. In German you could say in alles or in allem, I guess would say, because it, it's not going into everything, but it's in, in allem. Um, but in English we have to have things there. So they had to supply that. In Greek you don't, but in English you do. In all things, in all circumstances, in every circumstance we ever encounter, in everything we come up against, God has grace for that. Um, I know it's been said, you know, that, well... I suppose if we got into a thing that we weren't supposed to be in, uh, maybe he doesn't have grace to make us successful in doing something he didn't mean for us to do. I suppose there's that. Because he's not, well, he had it. he's not going to give it to us to do something he didn't tell us to do. But he has the grace that we need to do what he wants us to do and what pleases him in that situation. And I like to remember that, and I like to quote that often. God can help me to do what I need to do in this situation if I avail myself of his grace. And of course, now there's the problem. Uh, we don't always necessarily fully avail ourselves of his grace quite the way we needed to. And we can all think back um, to, uh, I, I assume we all can, I certainly can. And again, I should do my own testifying, uh, uh, even if circumstances I suspect to be universal to mankind. I think back the times when, you know, 
God, God had grace for me in that situation. I could have done the right thing. I had, I had the opportunity to do the right thing. I could have done it, and I didn't do it. Oh, yes, uh, God is good to us, and God is merciful, but he has grace for us. He's able to make all grace abound toward us. And, of course, to, the toward you, um, it's, they're cheerful givers. Their hearts is toward God. And remember what he said in the preceding chapter. You didn't give. You gave even beyond what we expected because you first gave yourselves. To those of us who have given ourselves to the Lord, and then everything else we have comes with that, um, he, has give, he has grace for us in, uh, in every situation, all the grace we need to have all sufficiency. All sufficiency here is autarkeion, uh, which is literally self-sufficiency. Now, that could lead us the wrong way if we took it out of context. We have to take it in the context of the rest of the book of, first, of Second Corinthians. Because remember what he said already. He said, God, he says, who is sufficient for these things? Way back in chapter, one of the earlier chapters, he says, who is sufficient for these things? And he says, God has made us sufficient. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And that applies to this too. So we're, we're sufficient, sufficient in ourselves because God has made us sufficient, that is, to do what is right to please him. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves. That's foolishness. Uh, that would not be true. That wouldn't be pleasing to God and he gives us his grace to do what's pleasing to him. But when he gives us his grace, we don't need to have anybody else do the right thing in order for us to do the right thing. And you know, when we're tempted to say, well, I couldn't react right because so-and-so didn't do the right thing. You know, if so-and-so would have done the right thing, I would have reacted the right way and I wouldn't have said the wrong thing. That doesn't cut it, does it? No, because... He's, uh, it, it doesn't require anybody else to do right and serve the Lord in order for God to give me enough grace that I can do what's right and, and uh, walk with him and have peace in my heart and have the love of God in my heart and all that I need, he can give me. Jesus Christ has made to me all I need, all I need. Charles, it was Charles Price Jones who wrote that one. He alone is all my plea. He is all I need. Wisdom, righteousness, and power, holiness this very hour. My redemption full and free. He is all I need. Yes. Praise the Lord. So uh, that's a great verse. That's, that's worth the price of admission today. Just the verse. Never mind the exposition. I don't know if that was worth much. We go on to verse 9 now. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. That's Psalm 112, verse 9, and you notice I wrote it up there. So in the New King James, at least, uh, it, it agrees word for word, I believe, with uh, what you'll find if you look in Psalm 112 and verse 9. Sometimes you notice New Testament uh, scriptures uh, are they quote the Old Testament. They're a little bit different because uh, they're quoting from the Septuagint, which uh, took the Hebrew, translated the Hebrew into Greek, and then the New Testament writers, including sometimes our Lord, quote the Greek of the Septuagint, and then that's how it shows up in our text, and it, it comes through a little differently. What the meaning is the same. But, um, and in fact, sometimes we, we learn a little bit more about the meaning. In this case, it was word for word the same. So, okay, switch for verse 9, one word to verse 10. 
Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Well, this is a blessing. You know, a blessing is a prayer for God to do good for someone which we offer within the hearing of that person for whom we're praying. That's, we, we bless them. So God prays, or, or excuse me, Paul prays that God would provide what the Corinthians would give. You know, and you know, it's God who provides seed to the sower every day when a sower is out sowing seed. God provided that seed. And God provides the bread for food. You know, everybody who gets bread to eat, God provided it. Well, may God <clears throat> supply and multiply the seed you have sown. Supply it, uh, you know, may God, God bless you so that you're able to give. And then when you've given, may God bless you so that you don't lack for having given. And may God multiply the gift that when it goes that it would, it would uh, buy more, so to speak, uh, possibly figuratively or maybe literally, for the people who receive it than it would have bought for you. Uh, may God do more good with it and uh, increase the fruits of your righteousness. So may God, make, may God bless you, and may God make your giving a blessing. And uh, verse 11, And while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving trust for God. So all of this leads Paul and the other believers who know about it to thank God. And that is also something that's going to... Uh, pop up again in the next uh, verses here. So let's go on and kind of hold that thought. And I wanted to consider these three verses as a block and kind of have them all up on the screen in front of you at one time. So verses 12 through 14. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience to your confession to the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. So the Corinthians giving, and the giving of others who gave for this big offering for the, for the believers of Jerusalem, it's not merely for the purpose of meeting the needs of the impoverished believers in Jerusalem, although hopefully I, I trust that it, it did that. It, it's intended to do that. I trust that it will and that it did do that. Uh, and the folks at Jerusalem had something to eat and had clothes to wear and hopefully a roof over their head of some sort because the, the believers elsewhere uh, were moved to give. But that's not all. That's maybe not even the main part. But also in order that many persons may be moved to give glory and thanks to God. You know, you read over there in the first chapter of Ephesians, that long, long sentence where Paul, it's the longest sentence in the New Testament, I'm told, in the Greek, where Paul um, reminds the believers of what God has done for them in Christ for his glory. That um, God is glorifying himself by saving many in Christ. And also then, God is glorifying himself by working in the lives of the believers. So that in the end, it's all for the glory of God. It actually is. And it's okay for God to do that, for, to seek his own glory. It's his. When humans seek glory, that's a problem, because glory doesn't belong to us, but it rightly belongs to God. So all is right in the world and the universe when God is getting glory. And 
and God's work amongst the believers, God's work on earth, is intended to bring glory and thanks to him. When we thank him, we're also glorifying him. Um, I know some would make a, uh, a strict differentiation between praise and thanksgiving, and I suppose you can, and that's okay. I don't mind if you want to do that. I think there's just different ways that you can see it. It's good to praise God and say how great he is, and it's good to thank God for what he has done. And praise, and some, by the way, would, would specify, well, we praise God when we say how great and how good he is, and we thank him when we express thanksgiving for the things he has done for us. Okay, that's fine with me. I think that thanksgiving also glorifies him. I think he's glorified in our praise and he's th- glorified in our thanksgiving. So either way, let's, let's do both and let's do it a lot. He inhabits the praise of his people and uh, he's given us so much to be thankful for so we should never be finished giving thanks to him. We never will be finished giving thanks and praise to him. And so uh, as, as the Corinthians and others give for this offering and then the money goes out, that Paul and his co-workers see that and they praise God, that God is working in the hearts of the Corinthian believers. And the, the delegates from the other churches, the messengers of the churches, they see that God is working in the hearts of the Corinthian believers and they praise and glorify God that he's doing that. And then the money gets over here to Jerusalem and the poor saints in Jerusalem get it and they hear the believers in Corinth and in Macedonia, you know, in Achaia and in Macedonia, they've taken up this offering so that you guys would not starve and go hungry and be out cold on the street. And, um, and they praise God that he's working in the hearts of the believers. Uh, and we've never met those folks. Isn't that amazing? They took up an offering for us. Um, never been the recipient of, of blessings from Christians that you never even met. It's an amazing thing. It's um, it bowls you over, and I'm sure it did. And they gave praise and thanks to God, and they also loved those and prayed for those who had given. And that's a good thing to do, too. When someone has been a blessing to us, then we should pray for them. It's kind of, yeah, I, I need to pray for them. They, were, they did a kindness for me, they, uh, so I need to pray for them. <laughs> By the way, then we should also pray for folks who have done mean things to us, too. So pretty much just keep praying. There's lots to pray about. But, you know, we want to pray for those who have been a blessing to us, and then we feel love for them, too. And I mentioned this before, and I, I'm just struck with this, and that this is one of the ways that God binds his people together and helps the believers to love one another. Because, you know, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Uh, and it's interesting, all the ways that we could think, well, they're going to know we're Christians because of thus and so. And you know, there are some things that yeah, kind of give us away. But the big tell, the big giveaway, is supposed to be we love each other. And uh, <laughs> sometimes, some churches, I'm not going to talk about that. Okay, but anyway, we want, to, we want to make sure that that is the big giveaway with us. That uh, as the little gospel song uh, years ago uh, Love is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart, for the king is in residence there. Praise the Lord. Well, one of the ways that he helps his people to love each other is uh, that, that um, he gives some of us the blessings that he means for others so we can give it to the others, and then we both love each other more. We both love each other more? Well, yeah, 
We love the people that we gave to more, and they love us more, because that's the way it works when you give. It's a blessing coming and going. So praise the Lord for that. Almost done here. I think I will be done early, and that'll be a different thing. He finishes up here after his, his benediction, the blessing that he pronounces on the, uh, the Church of Corinth, not the end of the book, but the end of this discourse within the book. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I always tend to think of these in the old King James, his unspeakable gift. You just you can't tell about it. It's just beyond words to describe what God has done for us. And, um, you know, I, I put here a couple of verses of a Charles Wesley hymn that we don't sing much anymore. It got, it's, it's sung to several different uh, uh, hymns or tunes. And uh, the, generally, the Methodist Church, insofar as it sings it anymore at all, and I've never heard this song in a service in my life, um, and look it up on Facebook, but it looks like as far as the Methodist Church sings it at all, they sing it to a hymn that's one of those crashingly unmemorable tunes. You know, you could, you, it's like the opposite of an earworm. You know, you hear an earworm and you're just it's going through your head all day. Well, this, this is not one of those. Like, you could hear it all day, you know, uh, and then like five minutes later, you could not hum it. It's just one of those. And it's also, you know, there are some hymn tunes that, that kind of just pick you up and lift you up. Just the music, and without the words, just the music um, makes you sing um, vigorously and, and feel like singing vigorously. And I think I've mentioned that missions hymn, uh, that the Christian Missionary Alliance hymn, 100,000 souls a day are passing, passing fast away. It's, it's rather sad thought. It's, it's disturbing. But the music is, is that of a jaunty marching song, and it, it disagrees. But anyway, unfortunately, the music of that hymn that, to, to which this, or the music to which this hymn is, is usually sung is, well, rather dirge-like. And it's one of those things that, you know, if you come to it with a lot of energy and, and a lot of enthusiasm, this is, yes, where shall my wandering soul begin? You can sing it that way, but if people don't and they're half asleep already, they'll go the rest of the way asleep while they sing it. But it's a great hymn, and it's too bad it's not sung much anymore. This is one of two hymns that people suspect Charles Wesley may have written immediately after his conversion. You know, he and his brother John were quite the religious fellows in the Episcopal Church, but had at least, at least no assurance of their salvation. Uh, in later years, John looked back and, and he was, well, I'm not sure. You know, he, he was uncertain whether he was born again at that time in Aldersgate Street or whether he just got his assurance settled one way or another, uh, they sure didn't know they were saved and strongly suspected they weren't, and we may do the same. But anyway, uh, Charles Wesley actually had a similar experience to John, unbeknownst the one to the other, Charles several days earlier, uh, where he, he really uh, learned to trust and take by faith, receive by faith that Christ had done all that was necessary for his salvation. And... Um, Christ had really finished the work. And uh, so then there are two hymns that uh, we think, you know, maybe that was one because he wrote, he wrote in his journal that night about being moved to write a hymn about his, his salvation. And, and uh, so he writes this hymn, but then he thought like, well, maybe, maybe this was, it's proud, prideful for me to write this hymn, so I shouldn't write it. So he put it aside. And then he finally kind of struggled back and forth. No, I need, to, I need to do this. And so he did. And 
probably, if you, if you go through the rest of the verses of it, this one fits the best. The other one that, that we think maybe that was the one he wrote right after his conversion was, and can it be? But either one of them fits pretty well the idea of thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Here he says, where shall my wandering soul begin? How shall I all to heaven aspire? A slave redeemed from death and sin, a brand plucked from eternal fire. How shall I equal triumphs raise, or fitting triumphs raise, or sing my great deliverer's praise? Oh, how shall I the goodness tell, Father, which thou to me hast showed, that I, a child of wrath in hell, I should be called a child of God, should know, should feel my sins forgiven, blessed with this foretaste of heaven. And I did a naughty thing. I actually changed the word. The word he wrote there instead of foretaste was antipast. And I changed a word into Charles Wesley hymn, which you must never, never do. But uh, John Wesley wrote, you shouldn't do that. But he said, but if you do it, you should, um, you should put the true reading in the, in the margins. So I did. Uh, he wrote antipast there. Antipast, what does that mean? It means foretaste. This is we don't use it. He's like, antipast, what is that? Some Italian food or something? But um, uh, will there be Italian? <laughs> That's another thing. But anyway, uh, foretaste does not fit the meter very well. So Wesley is right. I couldn't mend the, the meter or uh, Charles Wesley wrote, they're not able to mend their son. They can't mend the meter or the sense. I'm afraid I didn't mend the meter with that, but I did make the sense clear. And of course, we also know, and can it be, don't we? In that one, we know many of us by heart. And of course, in this one, Charles Wesley was writing, how indescribable it is, what an indescribable gift it is that he gives this to me, that his salvation came to me, that I should be saved. And of course, there's some of that in, and can it be too, but there's also just the, the um, well, the third verse is when we don't sing, "'Tis mystery all the immortal dies." How could that be? How could that be? It's, in, it's unspeakable, it's indescribable. "'Tis mystery all the immortal dies, who can explore his strange design. In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. "'Tis mercy all, let earth adore, let angel minds inquire no more.'" And of course, you know the other verses, what an amazing thing it is that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Uh, God's indescribable gift to us. Well, praise the Lord. Yes, it is indescribable. And all the words I've spent on it just now and, and that I've quoted, of course, Wesley's words far better than mine. Um, what can we say? How can we describe? How can we possibly what words are there? Well, there aren't any words for what, what it means that a creature, a sinful and rebellious creature, has had uh, his creator to die for him and to pay all the price for all his sin. It is beyond any description. And, uh, you know, tis mercy all, let earth adore, let angel minds in, uh, inquire no more. Amen. Well, and that's, we're out of time. I didn't finish early, but I did finish on time for the first time in a long time, so that's pretty good. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your indescribable gift to us of the Lord Jesus, your Son. Thank you for salvation through him. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells the believers and who gives us grace for every situation that we meet. Thank you for being with us and helping us. We pray now that you would... Uh, be with us and help us and bless us in the service to come. 
Help your servant as he speaks. Help us as we listen. And we pray that you would help us to praise you acceptably. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You are dismissed.